Hello and welcome to episode two of the Hockey Life podcast presented by Skaters Network. Today we are joined by Al Becken, East Coast Super League, Super League, AIHL, 10-time national team representative. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is kind of surreal to be honest with you, but uh, <laughs> I, think we're gonna, I, think we're, I think we're going to have a little bit of fun today. I think yeah, so. it's definitely. But there's, uh, I think there's a lot of stories that you have encountered, experienced, witnessed over your illustrious career that I think the people of the Australian hockey community deserve to hear. They need to know. We need we need to record this at some point, and I'm I'm glad that we found today. You know, we bumped into each other yesterday. Oh, sorry, last week. Yeah. And we just were like, we have to do this. You already started rattling off a, a few stories. Oh, God. And we had to stop and go, all right, all right. We go like, when are you free? Monday? All right, cool. Let's lock it down Monday. Let's get ready to go. So I'm pumped. So, Al, yep. let's throw it all the way back, okay? Okay. Canada, yep. you start playing hockey. Is this age of nine that you start? Yes, age of nine, uh, I started playing hockey. Um, funny thing is that I went out and because in, in Canada... A lot, of, a lot of guys, and girls for that matter, start playing hockey a little bit earlier. I was a little bit late to the game at nine uh, and went out and I couldn't play. And uh, embarrassingly, I, I cried yeah. because I couldn't. Uh, I said, Mom, they wouldn't, let me pa- they wouldn't pass me the puck. <laughs> and my mom said, and my mom knew nothing about hockey, said, that's probably because you can't skate. <laughs> you know, duh. Anyway, um, she says, well, God bless her. You know, well, um, maybe you need to get some skating lessons so that you can learn how to skate, and that's where it started. Now, am I correct in thinking you grew up in a smaller town? Okay, so I'll, I'll do that. I'll give you, if you want, I'll give you what really small town is. So small town in Canada, and to those that are watching from Canada, uh, rightly or wrongly, this is my experience. So I, I grew up in a small town called Thompson, Manitoba. To give you an idea geographically, it's above the 53rd parallel. You might be thinking, Al, why are you telling me about the 53rd parallel? <laughs> well, because above the 53rd parallel is starting to get into polar bear country. Oof. So I only lived 250 kilometers away from where the polar bears actually lived. <laughs> so the average temperature in a small town like Thompson, Manitoba in the winter is minus 30 to 32 degrees Celsius. I have experienced minus 58 degrees Celsius. I've Jeez. worked outside in minus 58 degrees Celsius, no. which, by the way, I think it's from 20, minus 28 onwards, exposed skin freezes in about three minutes. <laughs> so small town, 17,000. We wow. didn't have a McDonald's. So just to give you, just yeah. to, to those that are watching, <laughs> we didn't have a McDonald's. Okay? No McDonald's. Okay? And... Uh, we, we, might have, we had two shopping centers, and uh, one shopping center wouldn't be caught dead in. Now, the reason that I'm bringing that out is because New South Wales in particular at the moment is experiencing a little bit of an ice time shortage. I mean, two rinks down. Yeah. Um, so was that a, a common theme kind of with you growing up, that there wasn't enough teams for all the players? Was it hard to find teams? Um, so first of all... Uh, the, the, it's really kind of unfair, if I could, uh, to talk about the rinks because uh, because of the climate in Canada, you're able to play outdoors as well, yeah. right? So for us, where I grew up, yes, we had training and we would actually play games in the in the arena, but more often than not, a lot of your practice and a lot of your, I guess, your self 
I guess, self-taught self-commitment, took place on outdoor rinks. And there was just a, plent a plentiful of outdoor rinks. Uh, I remember uh, quite common um, coming home uh, with frostbite on my toes, uh, having been out for six, seven hours <laughs> out there skating on an outdoor amazing. rink, minus 20, minus 25 degrees Celsius. And uh, can I just tell you, if you've ever experienced being hit in the groin with a puck, in minus 20 degrees. Well, I'm telling you, it's just a new level of pain. You wow. can feel it. It's oh, no, oh, you can feel it. <laughs> you can feel it. And we used sponge pucks. Like, you know, and, yeah. and so you play sponge pucks because yeah. sometimes you didn't have equipment. And some of the guys would let a, let a rip, and I'd be playing gold. I'd get it oh. in the groin. And let me tell you, it would, it would knock you for six. But <laughs> to answer your question, kind of unfair because we had outdoor rinks that we could all play and, I guess, yeah. develop ourselves in that respect. Yeah, it's the Canadian dream. First uh, set of pads, first set of gear. What do you remember? Come on, I, I'm imagining brown leather. Like, that's okay, just what's so, coming uh, to my mind. Yes, you know? brown leather. <laughs> uh, Stuffed with hay. <laughs> nice nice fellas yeah no it's horse hair okay well, horse hair. close okay. enough so uh, back oh, you then had the, you had the good pads though. oh i had the good pads <laughs> so i got a pair of jofa pads now if those of you that can go back under yesteryear jofa yeah. was a very popular brand i got those pads my mom bought them for me i begged my mom for about a year when i got them no word of a lie I slept with them on, strapped to my legs that's, in my bed for amazing. the first week. Yes, yeah. I love that. that okay, that, that's as uh, that's as old school as it gets. That's that's oh. like uh, that's like pouring hot water on your on your skates and like wearing them, <laughs> and, like as you're sleeping. Like that's amazing. <laughs> it's, you know, it's so nice to get on here and to be able to have these covers and know that you're going to be just shish kebab by you guys. That's because, all right, man. Because that's of the, old, our, the older the older generation that you're talking to. Nice fellas. Nice. But I mean that, so yeah, that's, and I mean, you love them. Like I know for my first set of gear, like it didn't matter what it was, like I was just completely obsessed with it and thought it was the best thing ever. But you know, like as you're getting older, uh, is it kind of like every two years you're getting new sets of pads, new kind of gear to kind of come into the roster? Okay. Can I just take five seconds of latitude, tell you a quick story yes. about the old gear and then I'll answer that question. So in, I, I play hockey if you ever seen a goalie glove of today, the, the catcher just, it comes right through here, right? Yeah. It yeah. comes here. When I played, that didn't exist. That was called a cheater. Ooh. Okay, it was called a cheater. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be in, let's call it aftermarket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was no such thing that you could go aftermarket, like, you know, today now you can aftermarket. We didn't have an aftermarket. Yeah. You made it yourself, no right? Wow. You made it yourself. And that cheater uh, I had made by a local leatherman. He made the cheater for me. So I had the cheater. I was probably one of the first goalies where I grew up to actually have a cheater on my Cooper gold glove. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Now, also, just on that, just a quick story, and then I'll answer your question, I promise. I also was involved in playing junior hockey, jumping forward, but back in the day when we had that equipment. You know how we didn't, you know, you know today's goal equipment, you have straps inside you can cinch yep. so you can tighten on your hands. I never had that. Um, so I was playing... Uh, I was playing game, well, I wasn't playing, I was dressed, backing up. Um, Dean Shaw was the starting goaltender for Selkirk Steelers. He was playing, we were playing Weber, Weber Red Wings, game six, and uh, the puck came towards him and he poke-checked, right? 
His glove came off. Now remember, now we have the straps, right? Yeah. You see Jamon? His glove came off. The puck came towards him, right? He instinctively, with his blocker, reached out, grabbed the puck. Yeah. Unfortunately, as he did, one of the Weyburn guys skated through the crease and took three fingers off. Oh! No, I'm not kidding you. This is, this is no word of a lie. And I'm going to tell you why I'm telling you that story in a minute. He reached out, grabbed it. The fingers came off. Our trainer leaped off with a margarine or butter container, right? Put the fingers in, piled the snow in, right? Took them off the ice. Over on the bench, six of the six guys on our bench are puking over the boards, <laughs> having witnessed it. And guess who's got to go in now? Yeah. Okay, so I go in. Why am I telling you that story about equipment? Is because because of Dean Shaw and because of that accident, Cooper was the first one to introduce the cinching of the actual um, gloves right. inside. That's how it actually happened. And to give you, I guess, a great ending to that story of Dean Shaw, Dean Shaw was, being, was successful in being taken to hospital. He had his fingers reattached, all of, them. all of them, and he went on to receive a scholarship and he played four years in the United States after that injury. So although yeah, a graphic, terrible story. Yep. So your question to me was about equipment, about changing equipment, right? Equipment nowadays is made with such incredible um, sophistication and the research and development that goes into them, um, I find that they can break down. However, however, the art of taking care of goalie equipment, I think, is becoming lost in understanding how to take care of equipment. And it's, it's as simple as airing your gear after every training session and every practice. Now, I do apologize for going on, but no, no, no. I just wanted to bring in that story so that you understood if we're going to talk about equipment, yep. unfortunately, I'm old enough to be able to tell stories like that, but I witness it, and, and that is an honest to God truth. Dean, Dean Shaw, starter for Celtic wow. Sealers, lost his fingers, and that's why Cooper introduced the actual inside straps, and that's how they came to be. That's incredible. Backstory, Cooper starter of Adlon Trading, wrote a letter to Mr. Cooper to try and get distribution rights for hockey gear or to order hockey gear. This was after going to the Canadian consulate and trying to line up because no one could get gear. This was back in the days, like, you know, so everyone was riding horses and things. It was crazy. But anyway, got it. Cooper invited him over there to stay at his house. Wow. He went over, stayed at his house, and they drafted up the first contract. And... Um, got distribution wow. and uh, yeah everything's history from there amazing that's incredible yeah that we got to get Don on because he's got some stories I mean like oh, Don. Don, Don Don Rouston yeah, Don's amazing a, Don's a legend holy hell I like he must lo like that's 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 hockey players for you though like you love the game so much that you yeah. lost three almost lost three digits and still came back and kept playing the game. That's that's incredible. Yeah, Dean Shaw was a he was a fantastic goaltender, and um, I honestly, it, obviously, without saying, I, we lost. They yeah. lost the series, yeah. and Weber went on to play in the Western Centennial Cup final. However, um, it was a an incredible learning experience for me uh, to see someone like that to have the fortitude mm. to not give up in the battle through. And then yeah. to go on and to, I guess, get a college scholarship and then to continue to play. And, and I don't know whatever happened to him after that because I lost touch with him. But, yeah. I mean, I was only, what, 
18 years old, my God, I barely had hair on my chest, for God's yeah. sakes. And the fact that it was his blocker hand as well. Yes. Like you have to actually have like grip strength and all that sort of stuff yep. coming back from that. That's incredible. Yep. What a story. This is going to be amazing. Now, if we're fast forwarding AB, because I want to get it to, you know, when you land in Australia <laughs> and you meet some of the characters that we know, but college, university, University of Alberta? Uh, so uh, college, I played for Red Deer College for two years. Uh, and then I went to, uh, after that, I transferred over to U of A because um, the degree that I was taking at the time um, didn't allow me to actually get a degree at a college. You can get a diploma because it's two years, but I had to go to university to get my degree. Long story short, um, because, um, sorry, to those that are watching this, if you, uh, back in the day when I played, there's eligibility uh, period. So, for example, you're only eligible for five years to play. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, if you understand eligibility, and I'm, I promise you I'm not making excuses, but if you use two years of eligibility and then you transfer to a university, then uh, the university hockey team has to look at their depth. You understand right. what it? So if you're going to bring in a goaltender who's already used two years of eligibility and he's, he's going to graduate in two years' time, he's only going to play for two years. Then if you have a, a, a guy coming in who's a, a freshman, yeah. he's got four years of eligibility. That is something you have to really look at. And when you already have a starter there mm. and you're back up and you're looking for a third string because yeah. that's what they were looking for, I just wasn't, I didn't, I didn't cut the, the mustard. But Claire Drake was the coach of the University of Alberta Golden Bears. And those that are watching that may know about, about Claire Drake, uh, Claire Drake uh, coached professionally in the National Hockey League for about 10 to 15 years and was an absolute legend in his time. Awesome. And now you play there. Yeah, I played how college, does, yeah. How does Australia, and you're doing your degree. Yeah. So you finish your degree and then Australia, how does that come up? Are you, are you coming out here to work or? So, okay, all right. So here we go. Um, so because I, the, the hockey dream is still alive, okay? Yeah. So I finished playing college and, and I got my degree. Um, there's a couple of couple of classes uh, that I'm thinking about, and I get I get approached to go play for um, another college uh, because I'm thinking of another degree. I go there, I play, I'm playing, and then uh, I go and I travel. I come over to Australia, I meet my now wife on a blind date. Let's just say we had a connection. I go back to Canada. I'm playing this college, and um, because I'd use up that visa, I've got to work out how to get back. So I just said, well, I wonder if they got ice hockey in Australia. So I reach out, and uh, lo and behold, there happens to be hockey in Australia. So then they send out a scholar or somebody to go and have a look at me, uh, a scout, sorry, and um, I'm playing for um, Royal College in, in Edmonton. Anyways, they, they saw it. They, they thought, hmm, he's pretty good. And because in University of Canada, they offer coaching degrees as well. Mm -hmm. So I took my coaching and I got an actual degree, or, or like a minor, in coaching. So because I was qualified, because I was still playing, and because I could still compete, um, they decided that I might be a great import. Now, I was brought over by the Canterbury Eagles. Wow. Yes. Dynasty. Dynasty. Yeah. So anyways, um, lo and behold, I, we did a whole bit of uh, toing and throwing, and uh, Canterbury decided to bring me over as a player import coach. So... Imagine being a coach and being a goaltender at the same time. Wow. Uh, so I came over, a uh, lot of paperwork, but let's just move to the hockey part. Came over there, and I remember my first training session like it was 
yesterday. I got on the ice, I got all the pucks, I devised the training program, and then some of the players, which I'm going to name now, you're probably going to go, oh my God. <laughs> so, one of the players, I just dropped the pucks, and if you come from Canada, you realize there's a time when you touch the pucks, and yeah. when the coach asks you to touch the pucks, yeah. and of course, Paul Schumach oh, here we go. comes by, like grabs the puck, a few times. and off he goes. Yeah. So, of course, I have the luxury of having to tell Paul Schumach not to touch the pucks. Yes. And then I happened to also How notice. Dare you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Who's this guy? So I got over here and I started to play. And um, another thing was is that I had Brian Goldgear at the time. Now, to the goalies that are watching this, uh, if I could take you back, do you remember they were called? They're affectionately known as cow catchers. Do you remember the goalie pads that had the plastic pieces? They were on the front. Ooh. So pads, yeah. and then Bra Bra Brian came out with plastic pieces. Why? Well, we're going to put a photo up here. This yeah. is put a photo in. So here. anyways, I came over, and I was the first goalie to have these called cow catchers, right? It was the in thing in Canada. And the idea was is that if your stick came off the ice, if the puck came underneath, it still couldn't go underneath your skate. Gotcha. Okay? Yeah. So they made a noise. So every time I skated, so why am I telling you that story? Because every time I went in and played the wearing the bombers, the Canberra Knights, whatever it is, the and of course I got known as the cow catcher. Right? <laughs> so who is this who is this can we say wanker? Who's this wanker with these freaking plastic pieces on the front of his pads? Of course, I thought I was all that in a package of chips. Yeah, you're like, this is the best, this is the latest and greatest. This I don't, the know, I don't know why you guys are laughing now. This is what the pros were. Yeah, so, you know, th that's how I came to play hockey in Australia. And um, uh, it was an awful long time to, to understand the culture. Yeah. Okay? Um, I really need for you to understand, like, to, to non-Australians, yeah. right? I chose to come to Australia because I thought, I want to repeat, I thought yeah. I wouldn't have to deal with the language barrier. But I can honestly tell you, I arrived sure, in Australia. They speak English, right? It should be mm. easy. I remember I arrived, and because um, I have my equipment, I have my goal equipment. I'm taking public transport, okay? Caught a bus, and at the time, the, remember the bus drivers back then? They had the little pouches, yeah. and then yeah, we, yeah, we, we actually don't remember. I saw it in a movie once. It was, the guy a, says, it was a black and white movie. The guy says to me, he goes, well, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to Bondi. If you, can, if you can tell me how to go to Bondi. So he would tell me what bus to catch. And I was like, what? Did he just say? Yeah. What? So I'd ask him to repeat it. Yeah. He said it again. I didn't get it. Third time, I just said, "What? What do I do?" So I just went, "Bonda." <laughs> so he just gave me, and he goes and he jumps, gets on the bus driver, and tells the bus driver. The bus driver goes, "If he do, I couldn't understand what yeah. he was saying." Put me in the front. Piled all my goal gear on a freaking bus oh, from downtown, right, uh, all the way in. So, anyways, oof. that's why I came in. That's just some of the culture shocks. I mean, Hang on, what what else were you expecting to see at uh, Canterbury Ice Rink when yeah, you arrived and, and didn't see? 
Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Going from a rink that probably had glass and everything like that, and and smooth ice and nice and cold. Like, what was what was that first experience of uh, Australian ice like for you? Okay, so let's before we get to the ice, let's just talk about the fact that maybe spoiled, maybe not spoiled, but it became apparently obvious to me that I was in a completely different world because yeah. players brought their sticks into the dressing room. So let's just start there. Yeah. So where I played, you don't bring your sticks. No, you put it out there. You put them in the stick rack. Yeah. There's no stick racks. Yeah. So then you go Automatic into- Automatic red flag straight away. Right away. Just it's instant like, regret. I made a mistake. It's like, whoa. No stick racks. Especially then, Canterbury with the old airplane hangar roof that's yeah, uh, yeah. Uh -huh. been repaired right now. But yeah, keep yeah. going. So then, so then you get to the dressing room, you go, Wait a minute. Is this where you this store? Is, is this where you store the brooms? Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, is this the where's closet? The, the, where's, <laughs> like, where's the stall? And and more importantly, at the time, where's the rubber to protect your skates so that you could walk without actually getting? Because we had some of it was ice patches. I remember ice patches. They no. Have, yeah, they didn't have rubber. So they didn't send photos or anything of like what you were walking into, you know. Mate, mate, not only did they not send photos. The plane, mate. I don't think he would have jumped on the plane. It must have been a trip just to get there and just see, you know, what it was in that state, which we're lucky to have and it's amazing. But at that point for you, it like must have been. Okay, you want to talk about a trip? I'll tell you about a trip. Okay, here's the trip. If those of you that are watching this, if you could remember back in the day when Narrabeen had an ice rink. Right? Just for the kids, there was a rink in Narrabeen. Okay. Way back. It would be about the same size as the Ice Zoo in Alexandria now. Yep. So imagine playing an A, well, I guess the equivalent of AIHL, yep. in a rink with five aside in a rink the size, really, if I could be honest of with you. Of the stick studio. <laughs> well, I was going to say for maybe the red line back. Yeah. Right? Oh, so then you walk into that ice rink. And then you wind up, and then what I found was really cool is they would shoot, and then you know, there was no plexiglass. No. It would hit the netting, but the, the puck would fly back you know, like 30 feet. Yeah. And that's okay. You play yeah. that. Yeah. It's game on. Yeah. It's game on. It's yeah. like, I felt like saying, like, are we playing hockey or is this squash? Yeah. <laughs> so, look, to say, to say that it was a culture shock would be a gross understatement. But having said that, I'm... Um, a lot of wonderful memories and a lot of wonderful stories, which I'm sure you're going to coax out of me in a minute. Oh, but yeah. um, look, definitely a culture shock. Amazing. And when did you start playing for the national team? Like after you got here, you know, you, you started to coach. Okay. And then when did you get citizenship to, you know, be on that team? Okay. Um, so uh, 1995 was when I... Um, um, was clear to play. Now, just understand the fact that when you come over as an import, uh, I came over in 92, so okay. I had three years. So I actually had to go through the three-year process of becoming a permanent resident and then citizenship, right? So um, I am very thankful because the Australian Ice Hockey Federation at that time had people that were there Although volunteer would help players that they identified that were willing to actually commit to living in Australia, yep. would then go down that process. So I was very thankful that I had, uh, I can't remember her name, but she helped me through that process. We got there. And now, so it took you five years to make that decision? Like no, no. no I, I, the moment that I arrived, and obviously I knew that you know, I'd come back for my partner, and I knew that she was going to be in my life forever. She was 
uh, and you know, wife and two children is a testament to that. Yeah. But it took three years to get to that process. So I uh, imagine you arrive, you play one season, and then the the national coaching pro- program they approach you. They say, "Listen, are you interested in you know in, in living in Australia?" Yeah. I said, "Absolutely. I've, I've found my you know my wife to be, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Anyways. That three years goes through. Can I can I tell you about ninety four ninety five season? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's go. go. Okay, so ninety four ninety five season. Um, to those that know me about playing hockey, uh, I will unashamedly tell you I have a temper. Okay, <laughs> and I am extremely competitive. I am fair. I am fair, but I am competitive. Um, so why am I telling you that? Well, unfortunately, playing in Narrabeen, there was one particular fan who didn't like me. And he would hackle me, and because the, there was no plexiglass, he would be right behind me all oh, the time. God. And he would say less than desirable things to me. Mm. I was young and I was impressionable, and you know, I was competitive. Yeah. At the time, I didn't realize that I should have taken that as a badge of honor because they obviously found me as a threat. Yeah, they never, they never boo the bad players. That's right. Anyways, let's just say that this guy said something that tweaked me really badly so i took it upon myself to take my blocker and to punch him in the head through, <laughs> through the netting yes so yes so that's as old school as it gets old school as it gets right so <laughs> suffice to say that i was brought up before the judiciary yes suffice they had to a s- judiciary back then oh yes wow and and then of course that put a bit of a concern for the national program because oh, i was right. being you know i was just about to get my my citizenship, I was about to become eligible, and we are going to be going away in 95. And they Anyways, thought, oh, no, he's a screw loose. Yep. And in that game... I feel like that would have been endearing to some of uh, the hockey fraternity on that team, I mean, you know, at certain times. So maybe a negative, maybe a positive in some ways. Look, uh, you're Perspective. right. Perspective. It's all how, about <laughs> how you look at it. That's honestly. right. Yeah. Perspective. Yeah. Um, so then uh, in that game, I unfortunately also uh, did my knee. I did my knee, and... Um, I was now faced with not only the judiciary, but I was going to be out for at least six months because I had to have an ACR reconstruction. Wow, that's serious. Serious. So I uh, decided to be positive, and I worked my butt off, had the surgery immediately, and then um, I did a lot of the rehabilitation myself along with the physiotherapy, and then I attended the judiciary. Mm. They gave me the amount of time just enough to keep me on the season, but to be eligible for the national for team. The national team. Yeah. So anyways, I worked my butt off, did the training, we moved forward. I'm assuming you want to get to the 95 World Championships. Is where you want to go? Yes, yes, the first one. Okay. On, I've heard stories. Okay, so here we go. I am, um, so first of all, to those that are watching that have played. Hey everyone, Sean here. Uh, unfortunately, this next four minutes of the podcast, one of our video and audio feeds was dropped here, so we don't actually have the best quality for it, but I promise this is a really important part of uh, Alan's story, so just bear with it for the next four minutes, and then we'll be back to video and the crispy audio coming right up. Uh, with me in 1995, I will be forever grateful to all of you because um, you have made a profound impact on my life, and I truly mean that. Uh, I was uh, third straight goal picker. The starter was Damien Hahn. Damien, if you're watching, mate, you're uh, an absolute legend of the game. Uh, shout out. Yeah, shout out to you, mate. It was an honor and a privilege to play with you. Uh, and then, of course, the, the second uh, second goaltender was um, a young fellow uh, that played out of Canberra. 
Now, for the life of me, his name escapes me. I don't know why, because he was an amazing goaltender. He went on, uh, he was playing at the time overseas. He's playing for Cornell Big Red. Yeah. And he was telling, um, uh, to me. Mm. Anyways, so he is one or two, and I was third straight. So, for whatever reason, I'm not sure, but Damien wasn't able to be eligible, so then he went and he wasn't to be able to play. So then the goaltender that was playing overseas for Cornell was going to be number one, and now it's number two. Mm. So now I'm going to be dressing. So I'm excited. Good news. Good news. We go to camp, and uh, Dan Reynolds was a coach, was there a coach. Uh, Dan, if you're watching, I just want you to know that um, you had a unique coaching style. And um, I'll never forget some of the, uh, the phrases that you used in terms of describing what we're going to do. I understand you have an Army Navy background. I'll never forget that as long as I live. I'm not going to repeat that, but suffice to say, um, to those that know Dan Reynolds, and those that play with the national team, if you're laughing right now, Dan, just understand, we're laughing with you, not at you. Mm -hmm. Having said that, um, He's an intense guy. He's an intense guy. Let's just say that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, as we go, we get to uh, we get to South Africa, and then we realize that unfortunately the goaltender that's going to be the starter is not going to be able to make it. He tells us the day before the championships arrive. Right. We're, so we're in South Africa. So then what happens is is that I'm now starting. Now imagine, in all seriousness, imagine you're on the team, you're third string, you're not dressing, then number two, now you're starting. Your dream has come true. I mean, in all honesty, an opportunity of a lifetime. An opportunity for a lifetime. Absolutely. Anybody that gets an opportunity to represent your country, in all seriousness, it is the greatest thing that you could ever be bestowed upon you, and I am absolutely pumped. So the day we're here, first game. My coach, Dan Reynolds, comes up to me and I'm in line for the food, right? Pre-game breakfast. Dan comes up to me and he says, Alan, I got something to tell you. And when I tell you, I want you to be emotionless because I don't want you to affect the team. I said, all right. Because I want you to know that I've just found out from a meeting uh, of all the teams that you've been deemed ineligible because your ITC card has not been cleared. So there's a period of time when your ITC card has to be submitted to the IHF and it's going to be cleared to allow you to process and all that. Process, yeah. exactly. So then he says, so you've been deemed ineligible, but you can't express your emotion. Now, I want to go back for a second. Let's just go back. Why did I tell you about what happened about being suspended? Yeah. That played on my mind about being eligible to play. Yeah. Then I have to go through knee reconstruction. Yeah. Do you understand what that means? Oh, the rehab process. The, the, rehab the, the, process. the, the, the mental side of it is, exactly. is just as important as the, the physical side. So it plays on you so much. That's right. And then, Brian, I know because you played for the national team, you know the commitment and the sacrifice that you would have actually had gone through to get there. Yeah. Then you find your dream comes true. You're thinking to yourself, okay. They tell you that if you just stick with it, you work hard, you do all the things they tell you, you get your chance. There's my chance. Taken away. Taken away. And and what, because I remember you telling me this story uh, earlier, what was the reason why that it didn't get processed? Okay. So, so this is going to be the... <laughs> so, so 
rightly or wrongly, to those that are watching this, and, and if you were involved, I do apologize. But Phil Ginsburg, the president of the Australian Anti-Sector Federation, told me that the reason why I was deemed ineligible was because although I had completed the, uh, the forms approximately three years prior to, somebody had failed to lick a stamp and to mail it to the IIHF and only did so six months prior and required, I believe, 18 months to be eligible. So therefore, theoretically, it would be just under the wire to be eligible for the following year because of the time frame it took, provided that there was no problems with that. So somebody didn't let the stamp and mail it because at the time that's when it happened. Like that's how it was processed by licking the stamp. Now we have electronic yeah. emails at the time. So I can, I can, like, I'm just picturing it right now, like that moment of like hearing that news. You got, you've gone through all that. The rehab, the the judiciary, everything. Like, what what was that moment like when you got the news, and like, how did you handle it? Um, so, if I'm being honest with you, which I think is what I should do here, is that to say that I didn't shed a tear, mm. I, I would be lying to you. Mm. Okay, and uh, as much as my coach wanted me not to hold my emotions in, um, I cried silently yeah. uh, in the. Um, in the food aisle, and then when I turned and walked to the table, because uh, as you know, we all eat yeah, together, yeah. walked to the table. They could have just seen it on your face. They saw it on my face. Away. So um, I was, uh, I mean, you gotta remember, we're all team players, right? Mm. So I did not say anything. They asked me what's wrong, and I, said, and I just didn't say, listen, fellas, I just, I can't, I can't tell you. Uh, let's just suffice to say is that, um, Something's happened to me. Um, I'll, I'll be okay. But right now, the emotions are running really, really high. So then we had a team meeting, and it was announced that I was deemed ineligible. And then, because we didn't have any goalies left, we had to put a player in there. So Davy Mann... Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Davy Mann. So you, how did they do that? Like, who, is it drawing the short straw? So is it a fourth liner? Like, what? What's the? So here's the classic thing, right? So we're in the we're in the training room. Or sorry, we're in the meeting, and and our coach says, "Does anybody have any goaltending experience?" Oh. So Davy Mann. Davy Mann says, "Look, I've played some um, some summer league, some summer league oh. goaltending." He says. Alan, what size? And it just happened that Davey and I had the same size feet. I was going to ask that because, like, what do you do with skates? Like, yeah. did he just but he didn't catch feet? my hand. He, he didn't because I'm goofy. So he had uh, to borrow. That could be. Difficult. He had to borrow from a local hockey team in South Africa. So you can imagine brown leather pads. Brown leather. Yeah, no, that one's definitely had hay. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. definitely had hay in those ones. They had the hay. Version. No, I had. I, what the heck? I had the cow catchers. Come on now. Yeah. So, anyways, he, he had to borrow another set of gloves, but he used it. We got pumped twenty-three to two, yep. uh, and then as the story unfolds, that's when we reached out to um, Damien Holland, and uh, God bless Damien for coming to the rescue. Damien, I do. I am aware that you were paid handsomely to to do so. So there good on go. you for yeah, yeah, yeah. good on it you for seizing the opportunity. It wasn't a hard decision. <laughs> and um, Damien flew over and he made it for the next game and we played. Uh, can I tell you that um, uh, one of the things I, I would say that I learned from that experience is that 
you control the controllables. Mm. Do you understand what I mean by that, gentlemen? Yeah. You control the controllables. There are things that you can't control, and maybe that's a lesson to all of you, to, especially if there's goaltenders there, that um, I could have easily went, you know, I've had enough of this, and yeah, I've been treated. This is a gong show. Like, a, how, could right. they not do, how could they do this to me? It's a simple process. How did they mess this up? Blah, blah, blah. And that's you right. just sort of internalize all that, that anger. Yep. Which leads me to, if I could, may I take it to the, yeah. to the next story? Yeah. Okay. I, um, so when I was involved in hockey and, and playing in, at the national level, um, as all do you do, like Brian and as yourself, you all do, you feel compelled to give back, right? Yeah. So um, I noticed that uh, goaltending wasn't being uh, coached at a level where to be able to help the development. So I devised national ca well, camps. It was called Great Saves Australia. And God bless Skaters Network. I truly mean that. Um, they got on board and they sponsored me. And then, of course, I went around and I delivered camps. I started off locally and then it branched off to going. So I was going to every state. Mm -hmm. I was going to Perth. I was going to Adelaide. I was going to, uh, to Queensland. I was going all over. And then all of a sudden, then the market started to expand. I had to go to New Zealand. I went to Christchurch. I went to Auckland. And before you know it, I was doing all of these camps. I introduced video training. Wow. Because video training didn't exist. Um, and we didn't have, in Canada, we had puck shooting machines. We didn't have puck shooting machines here. Yeah. So God bless one of the parents in Western Australia. He created a washing machine, took a washing machine, and used the technology from what he watched overseas, and he converted a puck shooting machine out of a washing machine. No way. Yes, I swear to God, without a word of a lie. And then, God bless Ansett Airlines, they will allow me to fly that thing and I went around, and I used this puck shooting machine built out of a washing machine, so that what was, I, that, what was it like checking that thing into the plane? Like, my, I tell you, it was it was crazy. It was, it was like uh, I just gave they don't up. Have laundry? No, like, I gave up. Machine? I gave up explaining it to them, and I just said, "Look, just understand that this is a a, a home built a tool that helps me teach ice hockey goalies how to play." So just imagine, gentlemen, if if I could. You're not a goaltender, but you're, you're, you're used to maybe seeing maybe 20, 30 pucks yeah. in, in a training session, maybe 50. Yeah. I delivered that to this puck shooting homemade machine. I delivered that in the first 15 minutes of their training session. Yeah. So I was able to, back then, be able to say, you would get in excess of 180 to 200 pucks in a 45-minute training session. <laughs> Do you understand that? Yeah. Do you understand conceptually? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just like rapid fire. Rapid fire. And That's of course. Great. And he, it was like faster than like, oh no, like he, a coach could shoot it. Like he couldn't conceptually He had shoot this sucker. Like, he had this sucker going. high. We could shoot a puck. I think we got, a, we got one of those guns. The, the fastest we could shoot was 98 miles per hour. Not oh, kilometers. No, like, 98 miles per hour. So I never put it that high. So it was kind of like, you had these like... Like 150 You had these bands. Like, so he would change the bands, like, you know, the, the yeah. belts? Yeah. So he put it on a, on a medium belt, not the high belt. Mm. And I think it was like, I think it was something like 70. So it was, like, the pucks would feed in and just, or you'd like one at a time yeah, just feed them in. You scoop them all in and you yep. load them in like a, like a washing machine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Like yeah, a and, then just, yeah. and it, and it 
like that. That's so sick. So anyways, why am I telling you that story? Well, I'm telling that story because... Was it an under-13s camp? Like, were these kids no, no, like... I, no, no, I did... Uh, I mean, obviously I had shooters and we had workstations and I had uh, video cameras back in... You know, we had the camcorders. Yeah. Uh, like, kind of like this, but I was a camcorder. Bring them out in the ice. And we did, uh, we did uh, stations. We had, we had this washing machine that shot yeah. pucks. And then, of course, uh, then I decided to do what you're doing now, which is to bring this information, knowledge, to the consumer or to the actual young player. So I wrote um, newsletters. Cool. So if I could, yeah. Yeah. that's why I'm bringing it. I want to read to you um, the highlight of the, of the 1997-98 yeah. World Championship. If I could, gentlemen. Yeah, so please. I just take my glasses off because I, I'm going to read this. And it goes like this. Okay, so... Um, I want to talk about my fears, my triumphs, and the walls I personally climbed, but talk about my heroes, my teammates, as we all shared something that can never be taken away. We will carry this for the rest of our lives, the memory of doing it together with each other for one another. Okay? And it goes like this. I'm just going to go to the actual newsletter, and it goes right through, and we talk about our, I guess, our... Like your journey. My journey. Yeah, yeah. So, World Championships, 1998, South Africa. So I'm going to say, it starts off by saying, if you recall the last letter, but anyway, so I'm going to move forward to this, and it says here, okay, this year's experience has it all. It starts in November 97 when I commenced dry land training five times a week. No, this, this is not a national team program yet. This is a general program to create the foundation. So, so Brian, you guys have a structured program. Yeah. We didn't have that back then, right? It was yeah. just a generalized program. Each to their own. Each your own. Yeah. Honor Make sure you're ready to go. Honor system, right? So when I started the National League program, I was on par with the younger fellows. Training by yourself is difficult, especially when you have to work for a living. Mm. My wife handles the nutritional diet we receive from the national team, and you just get an idea of what it entails. I'm only allowed 200 grams of meat a day. No fat at all. Wow. And this starts before Christmas. To my young readers, that, that means no candy, chocolate. And to my older readers, this means no alcohol. None. The national team's official dryland training starts in January and starts off easy with four, four weeks into a five-day training program off ice. Not on ice, off ice. Takes two hours to complete and includes running. By mid-February, we're doing plyometrics. So those that understand plyometrics, mm -hmm. it's about establishing, I guess, um, Muscles and recoiling and strength. Fast and twitch motion. Fast twitch yeah. Exactly. You know the deal, Brian. Uh, so then by mid-February, doing the plyometric, which basically means you're jumping high as quick as you can and you, until you can do it no more. So we went to exhaustion. Oh, wow. So you went high reps. Well, high reps. So I usually was vomiting after these sessions. <laughs> okay? So we would then go to running hills. So if anybody knows the Cronulla Hills, oh, yeah. we would run the hills. So yeah. we would do sprints up the hills. Uh, on the third set of five, I fell to my knees and I vomited. One of my training buddies came over to me, whispered to my ear and said, Alan, pain is a sensation. It will go away. Once you're done vomiting, if you can get up and finish your set, that would be great. Okay. Now that's a, that's a training partner. That's a training that's partner. That's a training partner. That's what you need. So then we go to on-ice training and start. It just takes it even harder. So 10 weeks of dry land training program is completed, feeling tired, nervous, and I'd lost six kilos in the process. Wow. 
training camp, Slani, Czech Republic. Traveling for over 24 hours, going through a different time zone, takes it out of you. But why? I pay $2,000 to do this, right? Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> Slani is a small town, 30 kilometers outside of Prague. You can walk the entire town in one afternoon. Our room consists of two beds, one closet, and a bathroom with the toilet. The showers don't work, and they have cold water. Therefore, everybody showers in the dressing room. No television, no radio, and no English. Have I got you excited yet? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And the building is a sporting complex with the ice rink inside. So we walk past the ice rink surface every morning, noon, and evening on the way to our dining area for meals. We drink water, coffee, or tea. That's all. We buy our own juice and soft drink because our sports performance supplements we are all taking. We are strongly discouraged for drinking anything other than water as it reduces the implement of that. Training sessions are very high tempo and physically demanding, especially when you have three 90-minute sessions a day. Three 90-minute sessions? Three a day. Ten Ooh. days, three sessions, 90 minutes per session. You really got a bang for your buck and check. Seriously. I tell you, you get some big ice time. Seriously. Getting through a 10-day training camp at this intensity is an obstacle for everyone, yeah. including myself. Just to give you an idea of the level we're playing at, our first exhibition game is against a Division II team, which we found out had four Division I Czech Republic players. So if you understand Prague, yeah. Sparta, yeah. four Sparta Division I players were playing on this team. <laughs> I had 67 shots on goal. We lost 12 to two. I played well considering the quality of shots and the shooters that I face. Getting up at 7 a.m. the next morning for practice the next day was very hard, especially knowing that you were going to be facing another one to two ice sessions yep. that day. Having made our way through camp, tired and exhausted, losing our second game 10-1 against a Division III team, we have one of our daily team meetings with our coaching staff. Kelly Loverings, our coach, expresses his concerns as only Kelly can about who's going to pick up their game. We're lacking leaders, and it's only through the brotherhood. Right, guys? Mm -hmm. You understand that brotherhood? Yeah. That we can get through this. The brotherhood means understanding that your teammate can do no wrong, and each person will do everything and anything to help the team. To say this was a motivational meeting would be an understatement. Mm. My eyes swell. Sorry. No, take your time. My eyes swell just thinking about it. I'm right back there, guys. Sorry. Um, I believe that this was a defining moment because we as a team put all our energy into believing in each other, mm. trusting each other, and truly caring for one another, to which I've never felt before. I went into that meeting, and I called myself Alan Beckin, tired individually. I left that meeting motivated and part of Australian Brotherhood to which only 25 exclusive members were allowed. The Brotherhood continued to build as the camp went on, during which time our camaraderie developed during karaoke night, Ooh. where four groups were given the freedom to sing and interpret any music we wanted. I can't tell you the specifics, but it was filled with costume props and only limited by your imagination, more specifically the players, can I ask you, I'm going to continue my story, but can I ask you on a side note, 
you want to bring on Paul Schumach and ask him to talk about the GIMP. That is something <laughs> that I cannot articulate, but Paul Schumach must come on. Paul, I, I put, you got to jump on. Paul, you got to come on. You got to tell them about the GIMP. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna steal <laughs> Paul your thunder. Schumach, yes, okay? yes, friend of the pod. Yeah, we we end no the doubt. camp with our first win in check, six-two against the local team. Just in time for a quest for gold. Nice. Now we're in Pretoria, South Africa. Our flight was eight hours, but feeling good about our chances, arrived excited to commence our quest. Little did we know we were about to meet our biggest challenge yet, specifically 2,600 feet above sea level. To those that have ever been there and understand that, oxygen is extremely difficult. The best way to describe this skating, the length of the ice, and feeling the same way you do when you're out of air, is swimming underwater and desperate to get back that air. Our medical team had us on massive amounts of iron and vitamin supplements weeks before to increase our blood cell level so our blood could carry the little oxygen that we were getting, but we were still fighting it. Our medical, uh, sorry, our medical staff hired oxygen tanks to have on our bench so that we could actually put oxygen into our bodies <laughs> in between shifts. Every whistle you would take, your mask would get off, and you would try to... I would just be sucking air after every shift to get more air into my lungs. After each period, you didn't want to go into the dressing room because of the feeling of being oxygen restricted in a small, confined space. The game one was a 14-1 win over Turkey. Time to beat up a Kiwi. Yeah. I knew we were about to go into a medal, uh, into a medal after watching our team beat New Zealand 12-1, not because of the score, but because that they had less than 10 shots on goal and we had 60. We completely dominated in every area of the rink, and if not for the New Zealand goaltender's big game, I'm sure the score would have been a lot worse. Next up, Bulgaria. The winner places first overall in the pool and will face second place team pool. I know you understand about the crossing over the pools. This game had it all, penalties, penalty killing internationally, power plays to which we got overtime. The best is yet, um, unfortunately, we lost five toward overtime. Okay? Medal round, placing second in our pool. We cross over first place Israel from the pool. Milan, no, how do I pronounce it? Nova Sedlak. Nova Sedlak um, got the nod. I didn't. And for the first time in my international career, two goalies said to each other, neither cared. We said to each other, neither cared who was playing. We just want to win gold. I, I know we can say that, but if you understand, if you truly mean that, you look somebody in the eyes and go, yeah. I don't care. I just want to win gold. I hope that if you're watching this, you understand the sincerity in my eyes. If you are a goaltender, you have to be that it's, you're, you're not the one. It's the team. Mm. The team first and foremost. So he gets, the, he gets the nod. He plays against Israel. We dominate the game from start to finish. We win 6-3. I don't think Israel ever saw us coming. Gold medal match. Talk about nervous. Didn't sleep well, tossed and turned, constantly thinking that this is the position I've been waiting for all my life. Yeah. All my life. I don't want to disappoint you, but unfortunately we lost 6-1. to one. We played well, and although it hurt more than words can say, Bulgaria beat Israel in the final game, giving us the silver medal. In that game... We lost because in the first period, unfortunately, and Brian, I know you know this, if you put yourself before the team mm. and then you take penalties, mm. we played five on three for the first 11 minutes of the game. Whoa. So 
I faced 513 for the first 11 minutes, so if you can appreciate. Just getting peppered the whole time. Getting right? peppered, oxygen starved, yeah. the difficulty of trying to acclimatize at 2,600 feet. I'm not making excuses. We lost. That's a tough spot to be in. It's a tough spot. Um, I only let in three in the first. We managed to get through. Uh, I did win the man of the match, but that's no, that's no solace hmm. for losing. You know, but we did win silver. So why am I telling you that story? Um, so if you recall, we talked about the heartbreak hmm. of being in that line. Hmm. And I could have easily, as you said, Brian, I could have went, yeah, this is a gong show. But I didn't. Hmm. I fought through it, and I came back went from the lows of lows mm. to the highs of highs. So anybody that's watching this, all I can say to you is that um, I want to read out, if I could, mm. if yeah. I bet. I experienced the lows of lows to the highest of highs within an eight-hour period, and I hope and pray that you all have this opportunity because when the IIHF representative puts that silver medal around my neck, the, the tears poured from my eyes uncontrollably. I'm not ashamed to say I cried. And you can see I'm, I'm emotional now. I'm right back there. I cried because this article only touches the surface of what our team, and I need to emphasize the word team, went through to achieve this medal and the path we chose to get there. It's not the medal, ladies and gentlemen. It's the journey. Mm. So I will never forget this moment for as long as I live, and my heroes will live in my memory for eternity. And they are Brad Adrilon, Rad Benicki, Pavel Bofacek, Jamie Chivers, Carl DiPiazza, Glenn Fool, Alan Harper, Lang Harper, Harrell, Mike Harrell, Phil Hara, Miroslav Klima, Kelly Lovering, Tyler Lovering, Sean Muller, Milan, Greg Audie, yeah, Novoselec, Novoselec, Greg Audie, John Audie, Greg Park, Paul Schumack, Robert Spolanka, Sean Thompson, Arlen Tomlinson, Marie Wand, Anthony Wilson, John Wilson. That's, that's my, I guess, my take, and that's what I shared to the goaltenders at the time because I felt it was important that I could take them on a journey with me, as I've done hopefully with you guys today, about what it truly means to not only represent your country, but to understand that a team and a brotherhood is something that you will never forget. It will last an eternity, as you can clearly see, even when I talk about it, what, some 20 years, yeah. it still, it, it really affects me. And um, I'll never forget the guys that I played with on that team because um, I am the person I am, in part, because of that experience. Hmm. Yeah. That was beautiful. That's amazing. That, like, what a journey. I can tell you, when I played youth, we never ran sand hills. That sounds absolutely grueling. Yeah, like, I think the whole, I think the, like, sacrificing a little bit of part of yourself for the, for this, this goal that you all are looking towards and you all have that same passion, it's, uh, I've been part of teams like that as well where you, you see the guy on either side of you is willing to pay the price yep. just as much as you. And it, there's, this, there's this weird intangible feeling that you feel within the locker room when everyone elevates their game to another level because they are willing to give everything and more for the, for the greater good of the, of the team. Yep. And I think that, was, that is, is perfectly demonstrated there because you've gone through the whole journey of 
being selected, not being able to play, coming back from an, an injury as well, then going through that, that grueling training camp, which I've, I've, uh, I never did three a days on the national team. It was two a days max. Um, and then going into a country that's high elevation, almost zero oxygen. When you go through uh, that whole sort of process, you there's a part of like you all sort of take a little bit of yeah. each guy with you mm -hmm. forever and i think that's the the beautiful part of of ice hockey in general is because because it is so physically demanding uh and mentally demanding as well when you are part of a team that is willing to sacrifice that part of themselves for the greater good it just it, there's like this weird beautiful bond that's created and yeah. and it's so compact as well because the training camp is you know i'm guessing it was a like a week week and a half 10 days 10 days yeah so 10 three days. times three times a day 10 days yeah and you just like you you just blood sweat and tears for the boys and everyone in the uh in the organization so it's uh, that's that's beautiful man and the fact that you still get all like teary-eyed about the you know those moments it, it just it speaks a lot about how how beautiful this game is yep um it's a beautiful game it's a it's a lifestyle yeah. it's a um it's a it's a wanting to be part of something that um not only you know well at the time you don't know it's going to it's going yeah. to mold you right you don't yeah. know it's going to mold you yeah. uh, because you know the, you know to, to maybe the young kids that are watching whether you make the national team, whether you play, whatever you play, never underestimate the fact that this is life skills, mm. right? It's life skills. You know, yeah. Like Brian, you, know, you said, you know, the difficulty and the challenges you overcome. I mean, life's going to throw some serious curveballs your yeah. way, and you've got to learn to be able to overcome those. And, you know, Jamie Chivers, as an example, uh, putting your equipment on three times a day, if you've ever imagined it's like, your equipment doesn't dry. No. Right? So as a result of that, he developed a secondary infection on his shin guard, on his shins, from his, from his uh, actual shin guards, because he had a, he had a cut. Yeah. They had a cut, and then they got infected because of the, the continued saturation, and he missed uh, five days of the training camp. Right? Other guys, other guys got hit and, and broke bones. Yeah. Right? They broke bones, and they played. They, they went on, and they played. So adversity and challenge and pushing yourself... Like that guy said to me, my training partner, when he said, pain is just a sensation. Think about that for a second. Yeah. It is just a sensation. You know, you get up and then not only did I finish the set, I went on and finished my 45-minute training session yeah. after that, including the plyometrics, yeah. after woofing my cookies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... That, that mindset is, yeah. is really what can take you to the next level, right? Yeah. And, that's, and when everyone's on that same mindset, you know, everyone just get, gets elevated from it. But that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Speaking of the next level, Al, it's like, you know, you've had so many different phases through your career of, you know, progression and moving to different places, different teams. So is there some things that you credit to your ability to keep progressing, keep getting better? Like, is there, is there some methodology that you would, you know, you, or you could give tips for, you know, up and coming goalies of what they can focus on? Or, or like a message of training or, you know, pretty much what's, what's the keys to success? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I don't know if it's necessarily keys to success, but I'm going to tell you what I've adopted. Okay. So the first and foremost thing that I've, I've adopted throughout my playing career is change or die. Mm. Okay. Uh, and 
you might think, oh, well, that's an easy statement to put, but let me explain something to you. If you were to rank things in, in people's lives, change mm. is one of the scariest things that people face, yeah. right? So imagine, if you will, and I don't wish to outdate myself, but when I was taught how to play goaltending, or to, goal, to be a goalie, stand-up was mm. the thing. And yeah. then to butterfly. Now you've got the lateral movement, the RVHs and all the rest of that. If you don't, if you're not willing to change and adjust your game mm. to what's actually trending and the way the game is going, you're just not going, you're going to be left behind. So you yeah. must be willing to change. The second thing is if you think you've learned everything, you have. Mm -hmm. If you think you know it all, you have. Yeah. I hope this is making sense to you because if you don't adopt, uh, I guess, a mental attitude that you can always learn and it doesn't matter who you learn from, mm -hmm. you might not like the person, yeah. but it doesn't mean that you can't learn from that person, mm -hmm. that you have to adopt that mentality. And then I guess the last, I guess the last thing is, can I just say to you, um, have you ever read a book, it's called 10,000 hours and the book describes everything from the Beatles right through to uh, there are certain um, uh, let's just say uh, subpopulations around the world that have less um, diseases and have less um, issues with cancers and so on and so forth. But what they've done is they've devoted 10,000 hours to whatever it is. If it's 10,000 hours to your health or, or your health and well-being, or if it's 10,000 hours as the Beatles did in terms of playing, or if it's 10,000 hours devoted to shooting the puck or whatever the case may be, the 10,000-hour rule applies. If you think about how long it takes to put 10,000 hours in to be able to perfect your craft, then that would be the third thing. Is it understand the significance of 10,000 hours. You must train, 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 but don't train the wrong way. Train the right way. Uh, how about this? And I'll finish with that. You asked me, how did I, you know, continue my career? And I changed. I changed my style. Um, 10 years ago, um, I had a lot of injuries, okay? And my body was starting to fail. And God bless my doctor, put me on through to a, a sports physiotherapist. And um, I can't remember her name. She said to me, you know, Alan, you're getting a little bit long in the tooth if you're going to continue to play this game. You need to change. I said, how so? She said, you need to be thinking about what you need to do in terms of changing your equipment, changing your style, and, kind of, and also what you do off the ice. Mm. So there's a thing called, and you probably all know, this is called prehab. Mm -hmm. So 10, 70 years ago, I learned the significance of prehab. So now, four days a week, I do prehab exercises for my ankles, my knees, my hips, my shoulders, and my elbows. And it's a series of exercises that have nothing to do with weights, but they have everything to do with controlling the muscles and controlling the, I guess, the proprioception of those muscles and then modifying more knee protection, taking my knees away from the ice. Mm -hmm. These are the little things that, that you do to modify, but you got to put in the hours. you got to train. you got to work hard. I train five days a week. Yeah. I, I train five days a week. Maybe not the same training or at the level that you do, Brian, 
uh, because, you know, Brian, that you're a little bit younger. and yeah, A little bit, yeah, different. Yeah. It's a different, but I still train so that I can, well, I, I think, guys, I still am competing. Yeah. Maybe in my own I mean, mind. He's, he's still on the East Coast, still playing to this day. So that's, yeah. that's a testament to the, the, the work that you put in away from the rink because, yeah, those, all that time just and that consistency as well, yeah. the dedication, it, it adds up and it really shows because, you know, I can't name another, you know, goalie at your age competing at a, at a high level Thank and you. doing it consistently. It's, it's a testament to all the hard work that you put in. And I know that you are very, you're very strict with your diet as well. Yes. Um, that's obviously played a factor in terms of your, your longevity. Yeah. Um, did that come in a little bit later in your career? Or have, have you always been pretty consistent with the nutrition side of things? Okay, so uh, nutrition is a, a very interesting thing because um, we all think, and I'm going to be honest, we all think that, well, if we just work hard, we can out-exercise a bad diet, right? Let's be honest, right? Uh, and about six years ago, in line with the injuries that were happening, I have sluggish, I was overweight, my God, I was 94 kilos. Wow. And I discovered a, an incredible program, which I'm currently wearing now, it's called Weight Loss Coaching Works. It is no gimmicks, no shakes, no nothing. It's about understanding food, mm. it's about understanding that walking, of all things, can help you lose weight. Um, so I learned about value plans, I learned about what carbs versus protein versus uh, trans fats versus mon monosaturated fats and how that plays a role. Things like that you would never think about, like once you go onto a program, you understand about modifying carbs, mm. how fog, brain fog, is gone. Mm. When you start to lose weight, this starts to realize that you can do more than you thought you could do before. Once this starts to believe that you can do things, then the body follows. Mm -hmm. I lost 18, 19 kilos, wow. and I've kept it off, and uh, I continue to follow that program. That has played a, an instrumental role because if you change the way you think, then you change the way you act. Mm -hmm. If you change the way you act, you change your results. Another thing is, is that the mind, and, and again, whether it's nutrition or whether it's performance or whatever it is, I'm going to say some things to you that are, are basically science-based. 70% of the things we say to ourselves are not very nice. And in fact, if I was to challenge you, if you were to tell yourself the things you do every day, would you tell that to your friends and loved ones? I don't think so. So if you understand and we can appreciate that 70% 70 70 of the things you say are bad, there's this loop. Brian and I, we talked about this loop. So whether it's nutrition, whether it's your performance, or whether it's just being a good person or a bad person, your intention is to do something good, nutritionally, performance-wise. Then you judge yourself, mm. and then you say it's terrible. And then you loop back. You then you're, you're, positive, you're negatively reinforcing that. You need to learn that you need to stop that, and you need to say, okay, this time... I'm going to do it this way. And you need to say it that way. Stop mm -hmm. saying, oh, that was crap. Jeez, that was terrible. Because you go from 100% commitment to the next loop to 80%. And as you continue, it goes worse and worse. And then that really affects your psyche. Mm -hmm. And again, I go back to nutrition, sports, whatever the case may be. So if you understand the power of the mind, you understand that cycle, mm -hmm. then you need to understand that 
If you can't be positive, right? Put something between your ears that is positive, audio, podcast, like this. You know, maybe play this. If you are negative, play this section that I'm talking to you about. And I need you to understand one more thing that's science-based. If you listen to something once, right, you'll retain 5 to 10% of it. If you listen to something six times, I repeat, six times in a confined period of maybe, say, six months, not only will you retain 60 to 70% of that information, but you will practically apply it in a daily conversation mm -hmm. at least 10%. Now, I'm going to go to, if I may, just to the goal to the young goaltenders and to those that are coaching goaltenders. If you understand the psyche of a goaltender, players make mistakes, they rely on other players. Mm -hmm. Goalie makes mistake. What happens? Oh my God, the crowd cheers yeah. and they put it on the scoreboard for everybody to celebrate. Yeah. Look at what the goaltender did. Do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So to coaches that are out there, be positive, be encouraging. Why? Because the world is full of critics. Mm. Create an environment of encouragement. Whether it's players, coaches, whatever, we all need to establish an encouraging environment to if you can be positive, be positive. Remember, positive, the loop, the loop, the loop is going to help your players. It's going to, whether it's at national team level, whether it's just at grassroots level, that's just as significant. We're, I mean, my God, we're all built the same way. Yeah. I, I know that if, you, if I turned to all of you and said, respect is something that men die for, yep. and acknowledgement is what babies cry for. Mm. Right? Yes. Yeah. 100%. Right? 100%. So think about what you need to do. And if you can't, put something in your mind positive and listen to it six or seven times. And that is, again, nutrition. Please be conscious about nutrition. Follow a menu plan. And I'm not, I'm not going to make a plug, but anybody that is looking to actually lose weight to get healthy, please do so. Because I'll tell you what, um, I credit my, my, my nutritional regime now to my ongoing playing, Brian, uh, to, to the fact where I really believe that the reason why I continue to play, and again, I, I'm being a little bit cheeky, but I'm hoping that those that are watching that may be playing at East Coast, I hope I'm still competitive in when I'm playing you because in my mind I feel I'm competitive, yeah. but I'm competitive because, you know, we talked about one percenters. Yeah. These are those maybe one or two or maybe five percenters that you can all do. Mm. You can pay attention to nutrition. Yep. You can pay attention to being encouraging and positive to the person that you're actually influencing, parents, children, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of key learnings. Life, I mean, this, yeah. our sport is a bunch of life lessons. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to stop. I feel like I'm... No, no, that was really great. We need to know it. And then, so, if you had some tips for, like, a parent of a goaltender, you know, coming through, whether it be, you know, younger or on their way through, how, what's the best way for parents to really, because, just because, you know, I went through my hockey career of my parents just totally, you know, Australian, they were never really into hockey, but then I started playing, so I just kind of went through the leagues and had some extracurricular coaching, but I mean, as a goaltender, you are really kind of relying on having specialized goalie training at certain points or kind of all the way through really from what I'm gathering. So what's a good tip for parents or how can they kind of be, you know... Uh, Create the, an environment. Yeah, them. exactly, to succeed as a goaltender. 
Okay, so I'm going to give a tip for goaltending, yep. but I think it, it also can apply to, to, to players as well. Mm. Okay? There's an old saying that was taught to me at a very young age, and it goes like this. Players play, coaches coach, refs ref. Mm. If you're a player, don't try to be a coach. Mm. Understand your role, you play. If you're a coach, don't try to be a player, coach. And if you're a ref and you're a player, don't try to be a ref, okay? <laughs> don't try to actually challenge the a ref. That's worst of all. You know? So players play, coaches coach, refs rep. To parents that are actually coaching or to have children that are playing hockey or goaltending for that matter, um, I would say this to you. If your coach is maybe not incorporating goaltending instruction, it's not because they don't think that you're not worthy of it. Sometimes they don't actually have the, um, the courage to, to try to actually help you because they're scared that they don't know enough about goaltending. Mm. And as a result of that, they're probably apprehensive. So there's nothing wrong with the goalie turning around and going to the coach and saying, coach, this is what I think I'm doing wrong. What do you think? Is there something that we could do in next training session that might be able to help me? Mm. Connect with your coach, right? Yeah. Two, please, parents, as much as I'd love to see or say that your, your son or daughter is going to play in the NHL or is going to play in pro, the, the reality is it might not necessarily happen. So understand that the game is meant to be played. Have fun. Let your son or daughter have fun. Mm. And, and most importantly, be there. Meet them where they're at. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Meet your child where they're at. They might not necessarily have the maturity to be able to deal with. Look at me. Yeah. I told you about a story that I punched a guy, you know, through the <laughs> net. You would think that I was a grown man that I would be able to have the maturity, but yeah. I didn't. Be understanding and be responsible enough to understand to meet your children where they're at. Have fun. Play the game, and at the end of that game, be encouraging because the world is full of critics. That would be my tips. Yeah, awesome. That's yeah. brilliant. So. How many uh, good old cups have you got yeah, underneath the belt? Uh, because I was looking through it and I just kept seeing them popping up. It's uh... Good old cups. So let's just take five seconds of latitude. Good old cups now represent the AIHL. Yeah, oh, so we're talking Super League. Yeah. So what? Super League. But even before that, it was a state tournament. It was a state tournament. Is that where we came from? Yes. That's, that's, that's what it was. It was yes, a state it was. tournament. Yeah. So I have won. I've lost count. But I would say that I've won probably over, if I included AIHL part of that, because yeah, yeah. I won four AIHL championships, so I got four there. Not a big deal. I, I think no. probably about maybe 20. Nice. Let me tell you a story about, good old, about a good old cup. One good old cup, we went to Perth. We were so strong in comparison to the other teams. This is no word of a lie, that our coach made us as goaltenders change on the fly in the gold medal match what? with the lines because we were so dominant. So Mick Hayward was the other... No, swear, I've swear to God. I've never heard or seen that. That's a, that's a bold God. move, Cotton. Let's see so, if it pays off. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So Mick Hayward was the other goalie with me. We were in Perth, gold medal match. can't remember the coach. He said... We're going to play the first period, but you guys are going to 
change on the fly, just like the players do. So you guys are on the ice. You better make damn sure that if, when you're oh going to change, God. you better make damn sure you've got control. You because, make sure that puck goes in real deep. Because like the goalies... Deep. Or, or you're going to control it, and you're going to control the changing of your of your lines so that your goalie can get off. Incredible. We did that for the first period and a half, and then, with utmost respect, we became exhausted. A goalie became exhausted from changing on the fly. We won 18 to two. <laughs> um, were, the, were the two the empty netters and yes, in between? You yes, empty netters. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my. So who gets the goal against if you're in the change? Who gets the goal against? Do you know what? To be absolutely honest with you, I, I don't even... The 50-50 coin flip? I don't even remember. I just remember going to Mick Hayward and, and uh, I think it was Paul Schumach and uh, it was Carl DPS and a couple others and we were all there and we just went, was that a good old cup? Yeah. Yeah, was that even... Yeah. Was this just like a, a pickup game? Yeah, it, it felt like a pickup game. I mean, we had Tyler Lover. We had, yeah. we had like, it was a powerhouse state team. So were they, you, like, was that usually the case? Like New South and Vic were the two um, more dominant teams? Okay, so if we're going to go good old comp, there was, there was basically, One look, I want to say WA, God bless you guys, but back in my day, the, the two strong states was, was obviously was South Australia, Adelaide, because okay. you, had, you had Eric Lehman goal, and uh, what a fiery goaltender he was, really? right? Wow. Fiery goaltender. Came That's over, a nice way of, of Came over it. from goaltender, came over from Canada, and he, did, he and I, lovely men, and we get along like a house on fire, but at the time, we didn't see eye to eye. Oh, no, yeah. You know how you skate around in warm-ups? Yeah, did you guys yeah. ever made it halfway? Oh, yeah. And just throw yeah, a few flybys. Oh, yeah, a few flybys, and, yeah. you know, a few exchanging of words, and... Um, a few mother effers. Yeah, mother effers, and, yeah. 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 And, and also then, you had, and then, of course, once you, was yeah, Bruce Poling. Now, Bruce Poling was another very fiery goaltender, and when I say fiery, he used his stick. Ooh. Right? And I'm not talking so about... if you're, like, in front of the net, you're going to get chopped in no, the No, no, not, not chopped in the shins. I'm talking... If your legs are apart... Ooh. Really? Yeah. One, a, yeah. one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, and then, um, then in the latter stages, then it became... When it came into the AIHL, Newcastle North Stars were uh, really, really... Um, I guess our fierce components when it gets mm. sort of closer to the where good old cups now are being played as part of the AIHL and that kind yeah. of stuff. Newcastle North Stars were um, were the teams, and you know they had incredible uh, imports. Yeah. They came over and incredible import goalies, and you know that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. But you know, I would say there were there was time when Victoria also yeah. had some strong, but predominantly was was South Australia. And then Newcastle. Okay. And how was how was that transition when it went from a state tournament to the Super League first? Yeah. Um, how how was that that transition? It, uh, was it not that much different? Was it? Oh God, it's it? huge. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about in the Super League. You still you had Canterbury in there, and you had the you had the Narrabeen Bombers yeah. in there, right? Yeah. And uh, you know you had uh, that old mentality of you know skating around. Meeting at half ice and you know and, and being intimidating, intimidating and, and, and you know taking pucks you know like I remember you know playing for Canterbury and they took all of our Narrabeen took all of our pucks. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, that's that, that sort and of they, and they, and they, you yeah. know, and they said come over and take them from us. You know, Ooh, 
Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you had Joey Delisle, and you had the yeah. little general, and you had, you had the guys that could throw them, like, you know, they could throw them, and, you know. What was, what was the sponsorship level like back then in the Super League? Like, so for travel, everything like that, was it all sorted, or? So when we transitioned, like, from the Canterbury, and then we started to expand into that kind of, you know, travel, per se, yeah. um, we didn't have a lot of money. Hmm. And uh, the the league was being sort of nationalized. Can I, can I say that? Right, yeah. Being nationalized. And um, we needed to, to go out and get some money. Anyways, long story short, uh, the Australian National Confederate, Don Rurek, became involved. And to those that know, Don was uh, somebody who was heavily involved in grassroots, but also national development. And then Rick Williams. Rick Williams, you're watching this. God bless you, mate. You're, you're an absolute um, staple. In, in ice hockey in its development, uh, both grassroots and to the national. We got on, we jumped on planes. Yeah. And we flew around and we presented to Ansett Airlines and to Canadian Airlines yeah. and to um, uh, Qantas. And we would pitch to them. And I would be, be doing the pitching, you know, even always playing. And, you know, it's like, this is the game and this is what we can actually do. And God bless Don. We'd, he'd have it written up little media, little documents, and we'd be reading them out to yeah. them, trying to get sponsorship. And we managed to get answered on board. We managed wow. to get Canadian Airlines. There was no television. There was none of that, right? And a VIP. VIP. Yeah, God bless you I for sponsoring that, VIP, yeah. for sponsoring us and yeah. um, getting involved. And then we got local places like... Um, the Macquarie went up on Waterloo Road. I think you still go to the yeah, ranch. The ranch. Ranch came on board, and they were giving us some sponsorship. VIP in Adelaide with sponsors, and then all of a sudden money started to come in, Brian Sean, mm. and then all of a sudden then uh, the game started to get on radio. I mean, my God, I remember driving a, my, my, my partner at the time. We drove a V-dub, and, um, and we would be on the radio, and then, we would hear a game being advertised. We're like, oh, my God. Saved by Beckham. No, like, it wasn't like, that. It was not even, not, none of that. It was just like, come down to the Narrabeen ice rink to watch that Canterbury versus. Yeah. I mean, you were like, oh, my God, we've hit We made it. it. We made it. We made it. That's it. That's we it. We made it. And then the, the Narrabeen, I mean, I think it, you'd be lucky to get 1,000 people in that rink and you'd have 500 people and they'd be throwing crap on the ice and yeah. stuff like that. And, like well, I, 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 oh no, beer cans. I, oh yeah, beer like yeah, for sure. Huff. Yeah. Well, I I remember a, a Tui's ad that had the bears oh, and the bombers yes. in it. Yes, that was amazing. Like, were you part of that one? How was that? No, How I that came happen? at the latter stages of that. I was playing in that, but the Tui's ads. Got, it's on YouTube. Come, you got to find right? it. Plug it in. It's so, and we got to recreate it. Some. Have there been any other wars that you've seen that were like, oh man, that like it was a battle to to go across like a, a particular player or, or a particular team within like the Super League or the uh, AIHL days? There are so many battles, but may I just can I take you to Canada? Yeah, please. Okay. So Maybe the Wild West. Uh, I'm playing tier two. Uh, I've just gone, you know, in my remember I told you that I was I went around with Suitcase Smith playing a different one. Anyways, I was playing for um, goodness gracious, it was uh, Selker. No, beg your pardon. St. James Canadians, Tier 2 Junior, Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Went to Portage, just finished coming away from, uh, from Portage to Prairie. Anyways, playing in Portage. Um, let's just say that uh, 
Unfortunately, there are a lot of things I'm not proud of. Yeah. This is one of those proud, the moments that I'm not proud of. Yeah. And that um, I thought I was all that in a package of chips, Brian. Anyways, yeah. long story short, the goal... You feeling yourself at that time? I'm feeling myself, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm playing and I'm playing porridge and I'm thinking I'm all that. And I'm yeah. making some saves. And, and of course, I'm... I'm taunting. Oh, okay. I'm taunting yeah. the guys. Yeah. So That's the, the worst. When you got a goalie chirping you as he glove saves you, it's like, yeah. oh. So they're the goalie that down for Portage, who was my backup at the time when I left. Anyways, he's trying to make his mark. Anyways, let's just say that he took exception to my comments. Hmm. Okay. And then I turn around and I just, you know, I'd skate to the blue line and go, mm. well, what, you know, what are you going to do, you gonna about, do it? about it? And then he'd be yipping, right? And of course, and again, let's just say that if you put your stick between your legs and then you hold your stick out from your legs, you know that you're basically, you're creating a bit of a phallic explanation. So, of course, he took exception to that, and so did the team. Anyways, unfortunately, all-out brawl happens, right? So bench clearer. Bench clearer. Four so the goalie's clearer. coming down. I'm standing there, but the whole, the whole, the whole line comes after me. The whole bench comes off, right? <laughs> so I got about 28 guys all skating towards Just me. Just beelining it straight got, to you. That's beelining towards me. So then you've got my like my five guys. Then my bench clears. So then they all push me into the corner, right? Now, so it's, if that's not bad enough, right? So you've got a brawl going on. I'm in the, I'm closest to the boards yeah. because the guys didn't want me to get hurt or right. get in because they want me to get ejected. They want me to keep playing. Yeah. So of course I'm bacon. I'm continuing bacon. So then, so then you got to remember you got about five thousand people watching the game, and the boards are low. Yeah. So now you got fans. Grabbing my, they got me by the sleeve, and they're punching me. No so, way. Yeah, they're punching me on the top of the head. So what happens? Then you've got, so you got a section, right, of the Saints games Canadians. So now those fans come running over into the section. So now you've got a brawl in, in the, the stands. stands. And then here's the crescendo. Here's the crescendo. So you know how the GMs of the, of the clubs, so they're up at the platform. So you got a 70-year-old St. James Canadian GM running down to the, Saint, to the Portage of the Prairie GM. Both of them are in their 70s. And they're going toe-to-toe no. in suits. I swear on my mother's, I swear on my mother's life. You that got, is amazing. I'm looking up. Some guy's punching me in the head from a fan. The fan's getting it. And I, in the distance, I'm looking there. And there's two 70-year-old GMs going toe-to-toe in three-piece suits. <laughs> and with the technique <laughs> yeah, of holding it. Yeah, they're just jersey. And they're jersey. And they're, they're going. <laughs> oh, my God. Not my proudest moment. But can I just say to you, um, you asked me about a complete and utter... Chaos. Yeah, a shit show of a, a game. A shit show of a game. That's a shit show of a game. But obstacles in, in here in Australia, oh, God, yes. I, I mean, there's so many. Not at that level. And because I was a bit of a, a goose back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. But here in Australia, I would say that, um, well, <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, give me uh, one. So we're playing, uh, we're playing Macquarie. So Super League? Super League days. We're playing. I'm playing Canterbury. And I'm, I'm just getting peppered. I'm getting peppered. And uh, I've had enough. Yeah. So I, I put my backup goalie in. So remember, I'm the coach. Yeah. Okay, so I'm coaching. 
So what do I do? So what do I do? I can't imagine that. Just, just it's hard enough to hear a goalie anyway. Yeah. And you are full yeah. of the players. Like, you yep. Know, yeah. Swear to God. I'm on the bench, and I, and I show that I'm coaching. And um, suffice to say, one of the players skates by, and I grab his jersey. Yeah. Okay, and I, I close hanger him. You know? <laughs> so... As you can imagine, it's just the a competitor and you coming out. That's it it is right. You know, I, I'm not proud of it, guys. Yeah. But you know, I close hanger the guy, and he takes exception. So then, of course, one of the guys turns around and he challenges me. And of course, now I'm the coach, so I can't get on the ice. So one of our Kiwi guys that are on the ice, and you got to remember, right? That God bless their cotton socks, their heart and their passion can't stand. Yeah, can't skate. Yeah. So he goes toe to toe with this guy and pulverizes the guy, pulverizes him. And I'm sitting there going, I caused that. So yeah. uh, not, as, not as, shall we say, a large as the last story yeah. back in Canada, but again, something I'm not proud of because yeah. the poor Kiwi guy, he took a couple of shots that he didn't need to take, yeah. all because I close-hangered a guy because I couldn't control my emotions. But I'm sure, Brian, that we all might have similar We've had story. our own little moments. We've had our moments. Had I actually moments. feel good hearing this, Alan, because you know I remember playing East Coast against you <laughs> and hearing that you've instigated so many occasions. I feel less bad about the time. It was a heated game, and I came in to fake swing my stick at your face, and I actually hit you straight <laughs> in, the, in the face mask yeah, and got penalty. I was so, about to bring so, that up. So, you know, there it is. I didn't know this. Felt yeah, bad yeah. for a lot of years. Yeah. I feel oh, like wow. we're both uh, a little bit of an instigator sometimes, so that's wonderful. That's can that's can I just, hockey. yeah, but can I just say, can I just say, in, in seriousness though, right, um, we all have done things, I'm sure, in our past that we're not particularly proud of, but I think it's really important that this message gets across is that when you get off the ice, whether it's hockey, whether it's business, whatever it is, once it's there on the ice, it stays on the ice. You gotta leave it. You gotta leave it on the ice because at the end of the day, we're not perfect, we're not human, and um, maybe I'll just give you a little bit of a, of a I guess a, my recent uh, mentor, or my, my mantra that is, is that one day I hope to be a perfect, a perfect human being, because right now I'm a fundamentally flawed man. Yeah. <laughs> but one day, uh, I hope to one day to be a perfect man, at least before I die. I'm, yeah. That's my goal. And one day I get a little bit better. But you really, we all make mistakes and we do it in the heat of the moment, yeah. but it's not personal. No. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not personal. At the time, we think it's personal, but yeah. it's, it's because we've been exposed in some way, shape, or form where we found ourselves vulnerable. Mm. Vulnerable the fact that you know, were being beaten. Or vulnerable be we've been embarrassed. Or vulnerable mm. because... You've been challenged. In yeah, or way. our ego's been hurt. Yeah. And, and I want to go back to that story that I told you about, about the brotherhood, mm. right? It's when you come to understand the true meaning of the brotherhood. Yeah. When you take penalties, when you do all the shitty, pardon my language, all the bad things that we've done, that's because we put ourselves first. Yeah. We didn't put... The brotherhood first, yeah. right? And that maybe is a, a silver lining learning from our little bit jokes here yeah. that we all get caught up in our own personal feelings of being hurt, our ego hurt, whatever the case may be. But if you put yourselves before your team, that's really where you got to really, you got to take notice. Yeah. Did you, wait, hold on, one more. Did you, with that, the, the, 
AIHL winning teams, is that sort of like that carried through with those as well? Like is like when you saw the difference between the winning and the the non-cup winning teams? Can I tell you a really, so this is going to be corny, but this is the honest to God truth. So I'm playing for the Bears and it's the championship that we're going to win. We win. And I'm playing with two imports from Finland. And I just loved them to pieces. And one of them was the goaltender. I didn't get the start for the final. Mm. I got the semi, we won, but we didn't, I didn't get the final. And he's playing. And his brother, because they, they're twins. Gotcha. And we're down, we're down by one goal, and there's only four minutes to go. Okay? He comes over to me. And he says, Alan, we're down by a goal. I said, I know, man. I know. I said, but... You just got to believe. Mm. And then I said to him, I looked him in the eye. And, and I know you guys know this, right? When you look somebody on your team, you look them in the eye, and you just go, I believe in you. Yeah. That, you know that feeling when it doesn't matter what that scoreboard, because that's just, that's just now. Mm. That's not five seconds, five minutes, or five hours from now. That's just now. Yeah. When you look at him, you go, I believe in you. I know I know you can get it done. We can get it done. You know that feeling. You yeah. you know, and to you that are watching, you know that feeling. He said, "I believe." Well, as corny as that is, yeah. yeah. But when you look at somebody's eyes, and you just you just it's a you give off an, that aura. You know that aura. Yeah. Like, I believe. Yeah. It's just that that when someone stumbled down, you just pick them up, dust them off and go, look, mate, keep, just keep yeah. on, keep on going. Cause you can get it done. He scored two goals. <laughs> no way. He scored the, he scored the tie and he scored the winner. No way. He did. I swear to God. And he scored it in the last minute. That's unreal. All right. Now we got to round it up. We got to wrap this up. But one thing I want to ask is about gear. Okay. Yes. With the fast pace that gear is changing all the yeah. time. What have you found gear-wise, has taken your game up a level or made you kind of change the way that you play to align with it? Okay. That's... Okay, I'm going to try to be as... In the last 10 years. I'm gonna try, no, but I'm trying to be succinct as I can because, yeah. you know, uh, goaltenders, because you've got to understand, we are... Special breed. A little bit of a special breed. And yeah. you've, you've, have you ever heard of the term goalie porn? No. Oh, yeah. Okay. So goalie porn is where goalies get a hold of magazines or, or, or they look at equipment and they just, they just go through for hours yeah. and hours. Okay. And we love to put colors together and, and buckles here and piece of equipment there and stuff yeah. like that. And I am unfortunately one of those persons that you shouldn't be asking that question because you know, I can sit and talk to you about UAV foam, foam. And I mean, I can even talk to you about the sweatband that I told. Yeah. I bored Brian for 30 minutes about a recent sweatband that Bowers come out to that really does play a significant role in those one percenters but all right your question was equipment change okay goaltending has changed uh, there's different styles okay and whether you're a blocker whether you're a hybrid whether you're a butterfly whatever you want to call it equipment's being made to tailor that uh, so there's knee breaks there's uh, inside breaks outside breaks but the most significant change to a goal pad is not necessarily in its design. It's come from the materials that the pads mm. are made out of. Let me 
explain that to you. Goaltenders now use lateral movement, as I know you all know. A lot of goalies use lateral movement, right? Why do they use lateral movement? Well, because of the movement that goes side to side, mm-hmm. but also, also because of the fact that players have sticks mm-hmm. that are different flexes. So shots now, 10 years ago, were ne- that were good are now great. Mm. Shots that were great are now exceptional. Do you mm-hmm. understand what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So as a result of that, goaltending has been forced to change and materials, the weaves, and the foams involved in that. Um, Bauer came up with uh, uh, that, you know, the, the vapor, mm-hmm. right? And that vapor, uh, do you recall when Henrik Lundqvist came out and then he turned around and... He kicked out a rebound. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. He kicked out a rebound. He did a, a promo. Now, some people went, oh, my God. That rocked the goaltending fraternity yeah. because the idea was to control rebounds. Yeah. Right? Like so, it used to like just deaden the puck in that's front of right. you so you had it, but now it was getting it out to the boards in a way. Exactly. So yeah. now goaltenders had to start to think about, well, control. Rebound control. Rebound control. But rebound control wasn't necessarily about keeping inside. It was about... Kicking it, moving it, directing it. It opened up the game to how we go about doing things like that. So that UAV foam and the density of that foam has changed things, right? Then you've got materials that allow that lateral slide, the weaves. Mm. That, that's also changed a lot. And that's then incorporated into the styles, right? Look, there's a lot of goaltenders that might turn around and challenge me on you know, the breaks and how hard the pads are. Mm. That also, because like, you know, uh, CCM, for example, makes, a, makes a, the E-flexes and so forth, and they're a softer, mm. so you don't have to be in a perfect butterfly as you're lateraling down. It will fold in and allow you, whereas opposed to, say, pads like the, the new, um, your new range. Yeah, the high-by-two. Yeah, yeah. yeah, high-by-two, right? So those are a harder pad, and you've got to be in a perfect position for that pad to be, to be flush, mm. and just like the Bryans and all the other ones, and they're harder. But again, that's all going down to your technique. Mm. But what's driving the technique is the materials, the foams, and the way in which the game's being played, dictated in part also by the way the players and the, the technology for the players mm. are now actually incorporating. You've seen those... those well, they, they hook it onto their, their, pat, their, their stick and they do it at the top corner stuff. Yeah. You know, you've seen them come down and they're turning around and they're taking snapshots you know, from inside the blue line. What player 10 years ago would be willing to take a snapshot walking inside the blue line trying to pick a top corner if they didn't have the flex and the materials that sticks are? That puck's traveling faster now, so then that's what's changing. That's what's changing goaltending styles, but that's why the pads are also evolving as a result of that. That's my belief. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, obviously throughout your career, there has been an aspect of customizing your goal pads, like a strap here, you know, something there. Are we to a point now with pads where how they come from factory, you just keep them like that, or are you still changing the strapping system and, you know, how, how it's set up? So, again... I could just go off on a tangent, I won't, but instead I'll say this. Is that, so when, when, when pads come out of the manufacturer, right, uh, take, for example, your pads. They're designed in part because of the way in which the goaltending and the style of play that's being, 
being taught at the moment. So mm -hmm. whether you've got your blocking, whether you've got your hybrid, you've got those pads being designed that way. So for example, the straps can cross over. There's reasons why those straps cross over, like behind the legs. There's no more buckles mm -hmm. and there's Velcro. Some people get concerned about that, right? That there's no buckles. I, for one, was concerned about that. But that's because the game is played differently. 10, 15 years ago, you did toe saves. Yeah. Toe, you know, <laughs> toe saves. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. that toe saves yeah. don't happen anymore. Yeah. And more importantly, more importantly, you, the, the, they were made to, to down here to fit to the... Um, the cowling the of cowling, a goal skate. Yeah. And now there's no cowling yeah. of the goal skate. I mean, now uh, some of the goalies make fun of the fact that the goalie skates, they look like glorified rental skates. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but there's reasons for that. Yeah. All right? The roundness, there's no cowling, allows the blade to go down lower, which mm -hmm. accentuates the ability to, for your skate to go lower, or for your skate to go like this, yeah. so that you can drive and do that lateral movement, which then allows the pad to be changed. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you don't have to have buckles, you don't have to have straps. So to answer your question, yes, goalies can use the pads that come straight from the manufacturer. Some goalies, though, still like to do the modifications, but again, that's that one percenter stuff, right? Yeah. That, that's um, you can you can get a few more performance enhancements based around that. But 70, 80 percent of it's coming from the pad design. Then you're looking at that one percenters after that. Amazing. Well, I have one more. We got one more. Hold yep, up. yep. One more. I just wanna I just wanna give you your flowers in in the sense that I wanna I don't think we touched on it too much, but. You were part of the that national development program that the, the yeah. kids do now, the camps. I was one of the I was very lucky to be a part of those ones when they first came in. Um, and that's been huge for the ice hockey community here in Australia to be able to sort of nurture the that top level of, of Aussie players and all that sort of stuff. Like how did that start in terms of like you introducing that at a national level? Okay. Um I, also, thank you for having, oh, like setting yeah, that thank up. Thank you as that well, because I went is, to those and those they things were absolutely they're amazing. amazing. I appreciate that. Um, thank you, guys. Um, so first of all, not just me. Um, there was a, a team of people that were interested in developing hockey at the grassroots. I was one of them. Uh, Don Rack was another person. Then you had Gary Dore in Newcastle was also committed to that. And then you actually had... Uh, you had people that were in different states. Long story short, we decided to bring over Mark Bowles. So before we had national camps, we used to bring a coach over from Canada, mm -hmm. and he would devise programs and put everybody through their paces. We quickly realized, though, that doing that is not going to actually work for us long-term, because mm -hmm. it was a very costly exercise. We needed to actually teach the people based on a program versus somebody coming over and writing yeah. the program every year. So then, that sent me over to, um, to Finland. Mm. And I got the opportunity to go and participate at Viramaki and attend a national coaching symposium and watched in 52 countries. If you've ever had the opportunity to go to one of those things, it's really, really cool, but very frustrating. Mm. You've got 52 countries, and then you've got interpreters for every 52 countries, and then they talk, and each person talks, and then they interpret it in a different language, in a different language, and you've got your headphones on. It's like the that, UN. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's something that takes probably 30 minutes to discuss, takes four hours. Yeah. Anyways, you learn things like, just as an example, did you know that the reason why Finland 
started winning junior championships is because they worked out that from a mathematical perspective that if they played three on three, the number or the, the number of options that three on three, I think was something around just under 5,000 right. options based on a three on three. Whereas if you introduced five on five, it, it extrapolated to something like close to over three quarters of a million yeah. options. Players can't learn those many options and then learn those to become habitual in nature. Mm. So Finland used the mathematical equation and introduced three on three and after four years started winning world wow. championships because of that type of thing. That's just one thing that I took up from that. Then you learn from other countries. I came back, I talked to Don Breck and talked to all these people and said, look, we need to incorporate type of stuff. He says, well, what are you thinking? I said, look, I think we'll write a program. So Don, myself, wrote the programs. We used the IIHF programs, we used the Canadian programs, we approached Canada, asked if we could do that, but then we also looked at other countries as well, United States, hockey, that sort of stuff. We wrote to all of them, we asked all of them, pulled it all together, we wrote it, Brian. But then I also had to write a Winter Olympic colloquium. Now to those of you that don't know what Winter Olympic colloquium is, is that, or maybe don't actually know, is that the Australian Ice Hockey Federation, as part of IIHF, had to submit an eight-year plan. Right. So we would submit a plan to the IIHF, but we also had to submit it to the Australian Olympic Committee. Okay. So I wrote an eight-year program at a high level of how we were going to develop this national program, and then we got money from the Australian Olympic Committee. Wow. And then from that, we then used that money in part to run these national camps. We wrote the programs, and then we did the testing. Um, Don Rorak asked the goaltending to me. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I mean, I was heavily involved in the skating. I was heavily involved in the stick handling yeah. uh, because it's kind of like a little bit of a passion of mine as mm. well. And then the goaltending. So it was a team effort. I'd love to sit here and say it was me, uh, but it was a really, it was a team effort. And that's how it came to be. And then, of course, uh, I've, I had the, um, the luxury and, uh, and the golden opportunities to work with some incredible goaltenders that went through those programs, as well as players. And some of the goalies that you know, have gone through those programs are Anthony Kimlin as but one. Now, I'm not going to claim that I was his coach, that that was, that was the reason why he became that. No, I had the opportunity to coach him, as well as, the, as uh, Milan's son, mm -hmm. as well as, as some of the other goaltenders um, of our time now. And got the experience and put them through their paces in those camps. That was a lot of fun, and uh, that's how it eventuated. Just want to say a huge thank you to Alan Beckham for coming on the podcast. He's got such an amazing journey and story, you know, traveling from Canada to becoming a mainstay uh, on the national team, as well as playing in the Super League, the AIHL, now East Coast. It just goes on, so it's been really nice to connect some of the dots uh, throughout his hockey career and learn more about where it all started. So thank you for listening. This is the Hockey Life Podcast.